0: We've been in this series called The Why Behind the What, and so we're looking at one of the most famous sermons that Jesus ever gave, but if you read it word for word, it can give a meaning that you don't really understand, which is why we want to give the why behind what he said, which has a greater meaning for us today. So let me just start with this. We all have expectations in our relationships. All of us do. We all have expectations. Here's how you know if you have an expectation. If someone says something or doesn't say something or do something and you find yourself irritated or disappointed, okay, all of a sudden that should be a trigger for you to say, I have an expectation based on this encounter or this relationship, right or wrong. Uh, Let me give you an example. When my wife and I first got married, uh, she would write um, notes to me on a regular basis. And and, and these notes were very sweet and they were very meaningful. In fact, um, she would write some napkins, you know, notes on a napkin and she put it in my lunch and then I would find it. But the problem is, is over time, I didn't notice it as much. And she'd come, I'd come home and she goes, did you get my note? So I had to make a momentary uh, sinful decision and uh, said yes when oftentimes I didn't, you know, but uh, I didn't want to hurt her feelings. But then what I would do for her in this new, you know, relationship is I got home about a half hour before she did and I would clean the house. I would just try to make it so she came in, she just kind of felt, you know, like this is a great environment. She walked in. After a while, she stopped thanking me for doing those things. And so we realized that we were starting to get irritated with each other until we read this book called The Five Love Languages that helped us to know that oftentimes we give what we want most in return. And so what she was wanting at that time in our relationship is uh, words of affirmation. She wanted notes of love and I appreciate you and I care about you and all that kind of stuff. And I wanted her to partner with me in doing some things together and service and love and sacrifice. And so we found each other having expectations of the other person, but because we didn't communicate those expectations, we found ourselves dis appointed. Now, the best relationships happen when expectations are clear. You don't have to guess. Now, don't give me the, well, if they love me, they should already know. I mean, you know that that's, I mean, if you want to continue to live in perpetual disappointment, be my guest. But I'm just saying the clearer the expectations, the easier it is to go through with less disappointment. For example, if you are in a relationship with me, I want you to pretend that I am stupid. That might not be hard for some of you. So assume though that I don't know. Just assume that I don't know. It's going to go so much better than assuming that I should know. And it's the same in your world. I mean, think about it and you're outside these walls. Isn't it easier, better when your relationships at work, that there's clear job expectations? On the employee and the boss, it just seems to make work environment go so much better. Or what about friend expectations? If you're able to communicate, what does that look like? Are we in this friendship together? At what level? What does that that even mean? It goes so much better. We already talked about marriage expectations. What about family expectations? All right, there there are expectations that if you are part of my family, it's going to be different than you're not a part of my family. Like if, if you're not a part of my family, I... Don't ask you to come clean my room or mow my lawn or do my dishes because I already have built-in slave labor called kids. You know, so I, I I don't ask you, you know, to do that. But if you are my kid, then there's expectations. And when expectations are clearly communicated, it does us better. Now, the same is true for the church. And we'll talk about this in that regular class we offer called DNA. Now, there's different expectations, Beyond the relationship that takes place in a church environment, and so there's a the difference between just coming to church, like you came today, and maybe this is your first time. We're glad you're here. Maybe you're coming for a while, awesome. Versus you saying, "This is my home church. Uh, this is the this is my church family." Completely different expectations, you know. Uh, and in fact, I, I was thinking back four and a half years ago is when I first came to be your lead pastor. When I did the first series that I ever gave was actually called great expectations because I knew that you had expectations of me as your new lead pastor based on what you either expected or got from the previous lead guy. And I had expectations for you. And so I knew if we didn't kind of throw those things out there, that we would find ourselves disappointed early on. Like, let me give you one example. Uh, There should be an expectation, there was on your part, that you're going to be challenged and encouraged in your relationship with Jesus Christ if you come here to Valley Real Life. That's a clear and good expectation and should be expected that there's going to be people around. Now, if you expect that I personally am going to be that person in your life on a regular basis, there's no way I can meet that expectation. And so we kind of walk through. Now, it should be an expectation and it should be met. But if you expect it from me, that's going to be a little difficult. Like, just look around. Very challenging to be able to do that in everybody's life. Now, the reason, the why this is important is because Jesus is inviting us to what it lives, what we're supposed to live like or be like in his family and in his kingdom, Uh, Remember that he is traveling throughout the region of Galilee in Matthew 4, 23, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. See, one of the greatest news is that you and I have a chance to be adopted into God's family, being a part of his kingdom. We're adopted. Now, what we're about to read, you know, uh, is going to be examples of where Jesus is going to mention God as father 10 times in 18 verses. Now, he goes from God of the universe to God as father only when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Then we become part of his family and then we call him by a different name. It's the same thing in my family. Uh, You don't call me dad unless you are my child or you've been adopted into my family. There's only three people in the world who get to call me dad based on that relationship. Now, you might call me Big Papa, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> Sorry, just a bad joke. I didn't have Thursday to practice. So uh, if, you, if you could, open with me to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to spend these 18 verses looking at these expectations and the why behind the what, the motivation It's going to be critical for us. Because there's expectations. Don't miss this. There's expectations to be part of God's kingdom, of God's family. See, sometimes people think, well, Christianity is just, I accept Jesus and that's it. He saved me. It's fire insurance. I come to church once or twice a year. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. If you're part of my family, part of my kingdom, there's going to be expectations. And so he's going to mention four. Now there's more than four, but in this passage, he's going to mention four expectations if you're part of his family in the same way that I have expectations of my kids if they're part of my family. And so here are the four that we're going to talk through. Giving. Giving praying, forgiving, and fasting. Those are the four things. You're gonna notice he's, it's gonna be an expectation that's given, but here's the second thing that I want to make sure that you notice is the motivation, the why behind the what is most important to him. The why behind the what. I, I, we do this externally based on expectations all the time. Like for example, if I on our anniversary gave to my wife flowers, that would mean something to her. If I threw flowers at her desk and said, this is an expectation based on a contractual agreement that we entered to a little over 20 years in a thing called marriage, ladies, how would that go over? (laughs) Not as well. Same act. What's the difference? It's the heart It's the why behind the what that makes all the difference. See, God cares more about our heart than he does about the action. So that when we do the action, he wants to make sure that our heart is aligned with the reason in which we do this. Now, this is incredibly important because again, background is everything. Jesus is talking to a group of people who've been around religious leaders called Pharisees for a number of years. These Pharisees on the outside are the perfect example of what you would think or who you would think is living a right connection with God based on their giving, based on their praying, based on their fasting, and based on their forgiveness, at least what they've taught to other people. And so if you're ever going to look at somebody and say, man, that person is doing what's right, yet Jesus is going to hammer them. Because he's going to say, yep, there is an expectation that those four things should be happening if you're part of my family. But why you do them is most important. The Pharisees did it for reasons to be admired and esteemed by other people. They did it for the congratulations, they did it for the places of position, they did it for the, look at me, I'm a spiritual person, and I'm going to teach you the same thing, and Jesus is going to hit them here over and over and over again. Now, before we get into this and criticize them too much, let me just hit a hard-hitting question for you to ask yourself. How much of our lives are lived for the approval of others? How much of our lives is lived for the approval of other people, that that's the motivation. How much of how we dress, what we drive, how we talk at school, who our friends are at school, where we live uh, based on what we think is success is based on what we hope other people will notice as the primary and say, look at you, you are, and you fill in the blank, successful, beautiful, have a phenomenal marriage, great kids. None of those things are bad in themselves. But if that's the reason behind what we do, if that's the why behind the what, you're going to find yourself so empty. Because on the very same token, when people then criticize, when they are disapproving, when you get those looks from family members and coworkers and neighbors and friends at school, all of a sudden you'll be devastated to a level that you don't want to care to admit to this is what he goes after. So with this in mind, let's look at these four little things. Giving. Giving to those in need. Specifically, if you have your Bibles, in Matthew chapter 6, 1 through 4, it says this, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose your reward from your father in heaven when you give to someone in need. So notice there, expectation. Part of God's family. If you're part of the kingdom, when you give. It's not a if, or when you feel like it, or hey, today I don't have it. You know, it's like, no, no, no. Jesus says there is an expectation when it comes to being part of my family, when it comes to giving. But what he's saying is don't do it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they've received all the reward they will ever get. So the hypocrites... These other people who are trying to model, they would blow trumpets and they would announce, look at my giving. And people would look at them and be in awe. Wow, that person is so generous. Now, Jesus calls them a hypocrite. You notice that term is used a lot today. I've heard it as one of the main criticisms uh, against uh, those who call themselves Christians outside these walls. You know, like, oh, I don't want to be around Christians because they're, they're they're hypocrites. Yet, I don't think they understand what that word really means because if they were to take the litmus test of their definition of a, of a hypocrite and apply it to other areas of life so it doesn't, doesn't hold up you know, a candle, it doesn't hold up water. I don't even know what that means, hold up water. So it's second service. So it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, okay? So like this is would be an example is that, is that when somebody sees a follower of Jesus not live perfectly and not say perfect things, they say, that person's a hypocrite. Okay, have you ever been or thought or been told you're a good mom? Have you ever made a mistake in being a good mom and somebody look at you, you're a hypocrite. How dare you think you're a good mom? Or you're at work and you've been told by others and you think you're actually a good employee, you show up on time, but what about that one day where you slept in a little bit longer and you turned in that paper late at school and you're like, you're a hypocrite. You call yourself a good student, a good worker and we never use that, we only use it in these sections. Because it's not true, that's not what a hypocrite is. Literally, in, biblically, in this word, a hypocrite is one who appears to be one thing, but is the, really the opposite. Literally, it's a Greek word that's used to be an indicator of an actor who plays a role. Right? So oftentimes we look at a TV show or a movie and we're like, man, that person is great at that role, but that's not who they are. They're just playing a role. So just because you make a mistake, just because you're gonna fall or fail doesn't make you a hypocrite. You're only a hypocrite when you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Say you believe in Jesus and there's nothing besides what you say that matches what that really is. Then you become a hypocrite. So just helping you kind of redefine that because that's what he says there is that the hypocrites do this. And so then he jumps down Uh, to verse, you know, three, but when you give to someone in need, there's expectation again, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. Now that is physically impossible. Try it. Even right now, everybody hold out your right hand. Okay. Just kind of hold it in front of you. You know, just kind of, you can just kind of place it up there. Okay. Now don't look at your right hand. All right. Now have your left hand, move your first finger. Okay. Don't look at your left hand. Does your right hand know what your left hand is doing? How dare you, you hypocrite. <laughs> right? It's absolutely impossible. I do mean, don't let my right hand know what my left hand is doing? Jesus, what are you talking about? He's saying, give your gifts in private. And then this is where people then take this too far. They're like, well, damn, this is why. We should never post on social media that we actually handed out candy at Trunk or Treat and prayed for people. This is why we should never let people know that we give. This is why, well, if that's really the case, then Jesus is schizophrenic because we forget that just 40 or 30 verses earlier, same sermon, okay, this is the same sermon. He says these words in Matthew five sixteen. in the same way, let your good deeds shine for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. Like Jesus, hey, wait a minute. One passage you're saying we should let our good deeds shine for all to see. And in this passage, we should say, no, you should not even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I am really confused. Not really. Motivation the why behind the what. We should be doing things in public for all to see so that they will praise you. No, so that they'll praise God that's why we do it in public. That's why we're not afraid to say, yes, we did this in the name of Jesus Christ for all people, and we'll shout it from the rooftops. And at the same time, when God gives us little opportunities to help, to give, to come alongside those in need, we don't have to announce it to get the kudos on our back from a myriad of people to say, look what I have done. See, both private and public are important. See, if the only time you do good deeds is in front of others, it actually becomes empty. The only time you do good deeds is in private. It's not complete either. You need both and. And as a result, God will reward you. Now we're going to talk about rewards in just a second. But I want to give you two ways in which we're doing this, even during this season that we, we call entering into generosity. First is these uh, boxes. You, know, you may have seen these the last couple of weeks you know, in, our, in our lobby. We're calling it Operation Backyard. Now, before we used to do these things called the Samaritan boxes, and and, uh, we would kind of fill them up, and they go all around the world, and and to give something for Christmas to a child who is in need. Then last year, we contacted our partner in Uganda named Ronald, and uh, he has hundreds of orphans, and so we gave every single orphan got a box for Christmas from us. And so we're like, ooh, let's do that again. Ronald said, please don't. We're like, ooh, this is weird. Don't you care about your orphans? He says, yes, but I don't want it to be an expectation. I don't want them to just think this is all the Americans care about. It's just that they're going to give us one gift a year. I'm like, thank you for that wisdom, Ronald. So we said, what are we going to do this year? All of a sudden, somebody said, well, what about our own backyard? And so we contacted the CV Unified School District, and, and we asked you know, for a couple different schools that we have direct partnership with, and they gave us 1,000 names, 1,000 kids who are underprivileged, some single moms, you know, maybe going through some different stuff in life, and you've already taken over 800 of them to be able to give to something specific so that they can have this as a representative of Jesus Christ, both privately and publicly. We're not going to be unashamed to say this is from God through value of your life. And you get a chance to be able to do that if there's any left, because I know the eight o'clock service was very excited and they're more spiritual than you are. So, um, <laughs> just kidding. Just lightening the tension in here. I can see the faces. Condemnation. All right. Also, I really want to invite you back next week. I'm excited. We're going to take a break from this series, meaning uh, the series is going to continue, The Why Behind the What, but we're going to look. It's National Orphan Sunday is next weekend. And so we want to talk on Thursday and on Sunday about what is our role when it comes to the orphans in our community and in our world. And so I'm really excited to be able to share that with you next week. So going back to this passage, expectation, are you giving? Secondly, what's the motivation? It's the motivation For other people's admiration, or is the motivation for you to bring glory, praise to God, both publicly and privately? So let's go to the second one. Praying. Okay, praying. Verse five, you know, uh, says this when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in all the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, they uh, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. Now, what's funny is that based on times, I wonder if Jesus would switch that for us. What I mean by that is I don't find, at least in our culture, people's difficulty in praying privately. We've been encouraged by our society and otherwise to take your religion inside should be a you and God thing. So just talk to him. So when I talk to a lot of, of you guys, as, as well as myself, we ask, do you pray? Yeah, I pray all the time. i got a lot of people praying. They pray before meals. They pray at nighttime. They pray in the morning. They throw up these little prayers on a regular basis. A lot of us in this room pray. And when I ask, how many of you guys pray out loud, all of a sudden the numbers begin to dwindle down. And I wonder, just out of curiosity, because Jesus is talking, again, to the people who thought, if I pray out loud, people are going to look at me and say, man, you are a good prayer you're amazing. I just wish I could be as holy as you are. And God says, they've received their reward in full. They're doing it for show to be admired by others. But here's where I'll challenge you. And men, let me just challenge you for a second. Because here's what might have been my experience the last four years and just even growing up. Men, you seem to have, and again, I know this is generalization. Send me an email later. We seem to have difficulty praying out loud, praying with our wives, praying in groups. There's this lack of confidence And it's not because you're not confident, because I've talked to you about sports, I've talked to you about business, I've talked to you about your kids, I've talked to you about a lot of things in life, and you're very clear, very focused, very intentional, can speak out loud all of those things with great passion and clarity. But when it comes to praying, all of a sudden the confidence goes away. Now you might say, because most of us say, well, it's just because I'm not a good prayer, baloney. Because I know you're good at doing these other things, you could be a fantastic prayer. So here's the, I want you to think about this. Could the reason that you hesitate to pray out loud, could it be because you care too much of what other people think? So you think if I don't have the right words or say it the right way, other people are going to see me as I am. They're gonna see me as exposed. I I just don't have that confidence. That's been my experience when talking to a lot of men. We're, We're very confident in these other areas and all you have to do is switch the language And so you're talking to God as if you were talking to your buddy. And watch to see what takes place. Do we care too much, men, about what other people think of us, which is what hinders us from praying out loud with our spouses, with our kids, in our small groups, wherever that may be. So Jesus says, but when you pray, go by yourself. Shut the door behind you. Pray to your Father in private. So it's not an if you pray. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's an expectation that when we pray, and then he says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. <laughs> I love Jesus. This is good. You got to see the humor in this. They think their prayers will be answered merely by repeating words again and again. Don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need before you ask them. He's like, land the plane, dude. <laughs> Have you ever had an overtalker in your life? And they just keep going and going and going and going. And you're like, get to the point. Come on, I'm here for you. You just said that two seconds ago. Come on, let's get there. I already know where this is going. Land the plane. Anybody ever, stop looking at each other. This is where we get counseling comes from. Our intake goes up tenfold. He says, quit babbling like the Gentiles do. What he's referring to is the Gentiles, when they worship pagan gods, they were taught incantations and chants, thinking that the more they chanted those same words over and over, the more they did these incantations, then those gods you know, would be the one who would respond to them. So go back to the prophets of Baal and Elijah, and they built these two different things, and one of the groups, these prophets of Baal, just repeated the same phrase over and over and over for hours. God's like, Dude, that. I know what you're going to ask. Get there. Have you ever been with a little child? Spit it out. Come on. I know what you want. Let's do this. Let's be able to ask it. It's okay. I actually want to hear it from you. So don't keep babbling on and going on. Get to the point. And then he says, pray like this. Notice just Jesus doesn't say, because I know just like my wife, we have a lot of folks who come from Lutheran or Catholic backgrounds. So we're excited that you're here. But he says, don't, he says, pray like this. Jesus doesn't say, pray this exact prayer over and over and over again. He's giving us an example. He's giving us a model for what this could look like. So what I want you to do is evaluate for a second now your own prayer life as we quickly go through this. Jesus says, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. So what he's emphasizing is, hey, you know what? Prayer doesn't start with us. Prayer Purse should start with who we're talking to. Purse should start with God and and an elevation of who he is, not just the Santa Claus in the sky for what he could provide, but do we esteem him, do we love him for who he is, not just what he's done. He says, may your kingdom come soon, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do we pray prayers that say, God, I have my plans, my agendas, my goals, my hopes, my dreams, but I want your plan, your hope, your goal, your dream, your will, to be done see it's a different way of praying than even what they did back then Then he says, give us today the food that we need. See, it's okay to ask for the things that we need. He's welcoming that. As any father would welcome a child to say the same thing. And then he says, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So we're not just saying, God, forgive us, but also allow us to forgive others, which we'll get to in just a second. And then don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. God, we're gonna go through hard times. We're gonna go through sinful moments and battles in life. So help us to not give into that. We need your strength. We need your help. See, the motivation is key, right? So this is the hard-hitting question that I had to ask myself, and I got it from one of our pastors this week. Hear this one. If every prayer that you and I prayed was answered with a yes, who outside yourself would get blessed? If every prayer that you prayed, God said, yep, I'm going to do that for you. Yep, I'm going to do that for your family. Yep, I'm going to do that. Who outside of your circle would actually get blessed? See, that's a motivation question. That that helps us understand the the why behind the what. And and so Jesus has talked about now an expectation of giving, right? If you're going to be a follower of him, we need to give, but what's the motivation? of prayer, but what's the motivation? Now he gets to a harder one, forgiving. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Man, that sounds harsh. But is it? See, This is a big one to God. But how much different is it to those of you who are parents? Sometimes we get little snapshots, you know, of kind of what this could look like. Or friends, close friends that you may have who get in a fight, who hurt one another, and then you get to the end of the hurt and now there's a choice to be made. Do I hold on to the hurt or do I ask for or seek forgiveness from that person? Why? So that it helps you in your relationship. Now, what if I just go to God? But God forgives me. He's the only one. God, you forgive, you forgive, you forgive. That's happened in our house before. My son will be like, I'm sorry, mom and dad. I'm sorry I did that to my brother. I'm sorry I did that to my sister. I'm so sorry to forgive you. I said, yes, I will forgive you, but you need to go say sorry to your brother and sister because there's still tension in the house. There's tension in the family. And this is just as important, if not more so, than you're asking for forgiveness from me. See, I get a little glimpse of what it must like be to be God in this instance to be like, I know what that can feel like, and God knows as well. Now, let me be clear. You've heard me say this before. One of the reasons that we don't want, we choose not to forgive other people, is because they don't deserve it. (laughs) Right? Uh, It's their fault. You know, they should be the one groveling to me. I mean, you should hear the things that have happened to me because of this person. We don't offer forgiveness because they deserve it. We offer forgiveness because it heals and helps relationship for us, potentially with that person and with God. See, a lack of forgiveness, and you've heard me say this before, is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. The person that is wounded the most because they don't deserve it is you, and it's me. And God says, you gotta let it go. Doesn't mean you have to enter back into full relationship with this person. We always get that question. That doesn't mean you have to reconcile because there's some abuse and there's harmful and all that kind of stuff. You gotta keep boundaries and distance for your sake and for that sake, but you gotta let it go. And then as a result, God forgives us as well. So, expectations. If we're adopted into the family of God, part of his kingdom is giving. It is praying. It is forgiving. And again, the motivation behind it all is so important, which leads to my least favorite, fasting. Oh, American churches, we love to talk about fasting. Now, we do talk about fasting a little bit more in in these days. This is what it says here, though, first. And when you fast, oh, my goodness, Jesus, you made it an expectation. It's not optional. It's not one of these things. Well, you know, that's for those people. No, it's in the same passage as forgiving and giving praying. It says, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they, look to tr- they try to look miserable and disheveled so people admire them for fasting. So what they would do is what he said is they would intentionally like throw dirt on their face, intentionally just walk around, you know, just like Halloween is every day and just have this, this awful look. And like, I'm so tired. And so why are you tired? Well, of course I've been fasting, you know, for many, many hours or days, you know, and they'd be like, oh, you were so sp- spiritual. And he's like, don't do that. He says this, I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they'll ever get to be admired by others. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. Now, fasting, like I said, has grown actually more popular these days than in other days. Uh, For example, intermittent fasting. It's kind of the new rage. It's the new weight loss plan. And so people are like, yeah, I'm all into fasting for health reasons. Or if I have to go into for a procedure, you're told you got to fast before you go into this procedure. It's best for your sake and for the doctor's sake, you know, as well with whatever surgery. But most people, especially in American churches today, don't understand fasting for spiritual reasons. The purpose behind that fasting, let me be clear. Biblical fasting is laying aside of food for a period of time so that you can better connect with God Seeking his will or direction or to do it on behalf of someone else. That's what we see in scripture. So every time, whether you skip a meal, you know, somebody told me last time, I'm like, Dan, I fast every day. I said, Yeah, really? They said, Yeah, between breakfast and lunch. I'm like, that's not fasting. <laughs> Whenever you're here, you ever take a meal, a day, a couple days, whatever it may be, don't get legalistic about it. The idea is for you to go deeper with God for yourself or on behalf of someone else. See, here's what we read in Acts 13 too. One example of many. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart. And all of a sudden you see this example of God's Spirit showing up so that every time you get hungry, it's supposed to be a trigger physically to remind you of the spiritual importance of connecting to God and to other people. There's nothing wrong with fasting for health reasons, but Jesus wants a deeper connection with us. And as we looked at this, you notice it said over and over and over but you've already received your reward. God has a greater reward. God has a greater reward. God has a greater reward. When in the world is God's greater reward? Sometimes people read that and they think, well, of course he's talking about heaven. He's not. He would have said that. He would have said your reward is in heaven. That's the reward that you're going to get. No. His reward is abundant life. His reward is watching you experience a new, deeper, more meaningful connection with God. His reward is watching your relationships become the healthiest they could possibly be on this side of eternity. His reward is when he's first, there's a myriad of ways that he wants to bless us. Can you think about it for just a second? How many of us are not receiving even more blessings from God that are tangible and intangible because we're not willing to submit ourselves for the right motivation in giving, in praying, forgiving, and in fasting. And the right motivation starts, continues and ends out of an abiding relationship with Jesus, which is what we want to invite you into if you have not yet received him. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much. For today, thank you for the opportunity just to look at your word and to walk through these verses. I pray, Lord, that you would just allow us to figure out what is our next step? Help us to know what that looks like. Father, maybe it's in prayer that we're gonna take a challenge and, and begin to pray more out loud. And maybe it's, it's we're going to pray and, and evaluate our heart as beyond ourselves that we want to focus more on you and other people. Father, maybe you're gonna call us to fast. Maybe you're gonna call us to give. Lord, help us to be connected to you. If there's someone here who's not yet connected to you, I pray they pray this prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. We love you, Lord. So in your name we pray. Amen.